welcome back to Summit Church. Um, those who have been overseas serving the Lord in missions, those who have been overseas serving the Lord on the beach uh, in the sun, whatever that looked like, welcome back. Um, uh, today, I just want to let you know where we're going uh, for the next few weeks. Uh, today, we are going to hit pause on our study of the book of Ephesians. It's for one week. And we're going to look at this concept of Jesus as a teacher, more specifically, Jesus as our teacher. That'll be today, and I, and I really have great expectation of what the Lord is going to do through this talk today. Um, I've really rarely ever done this, but I'm going to give you a heads up, and I'm going to let you know for the following three weeks, next Sunday and the two after it, those are not weeks you're going to want to miss. Okay, now I'm never going to stand up and tell you, you you're going to want to miss next week. I'm not going to say that, but... I will tell you with honesty, and, and I hope you've been here long enough to know that I don't do this. The next three weeks are going to be really good. And here's what I mean by good. We are going to skip a few verses in the book of Ephesians because we cannot finish it by the end of the school year, so we'll go back and get them. But next week we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, and we're going to look at what it means to live not as the unwise but as the wise and to live as ones who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And before you go like, what? where's he going with this? The next few verses just talk about how worship flows from that being filled with the Spirit. There's evidence of the Spirit. And nowhere in there does it talk about tongues or anything like that. Okay? There's just evidence of the Spirit that comes. And it's this worship. And it's this pure nature. And so next week, you're going to want to come, and you're going to want to experience it. You're going to want to hear what, what Paul and Jesus has to say through that passage. And then the two weeks after that uh, will be really a little series on marriage. And we don't do series. We, we walk through books of the Bible, and it just so happens when you do that, you hit little series, like a series on marriage. And starting in verse 21, that week will be what she must be. So for those of you who are single in here, the men, you're going to have a list from Scripture of what she must be. And women in here who are married, you're going to have a list, a true, this is your call to be this as a woman and as a wife. And then the third week is what he must be. So single women, you will have the opportunity to make a list of what he must be. Uh, and then men, husbands, you will be called to a very high level of leadership in your marriages. Um, that's just, it's just good stuff. And then, bum, bada, bum, it's Easter. Okay? So set a reminder in your phone, do something, but make sure that you're here really the next four weeks through Easter. Um, these, these are not times where we can just be lackadaisical. It's good to come. Scripture commands it. I want you to be here. I'm excited about where we're at in our study in Ephesians and what we're going to cover today. So bring people, bring yourself, get here the next really four weeks. Let's pray for this morning. Our text is Matthew chapter 7. It feels weird to say that. Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we'll open that here in just a moment. Let's pray. Um, Father, come and fill this place with your presence, with your glory. Let us know who you are. Uh, let us see you in your majesty. God, I thank you for your son Jesus, for his atoning work on the cross, for the truth that he is our Savior and Lord, and that he reigns at your right hand in heaven, sovereign over all that we see. God, we thank you for that truth. 
And today we ask, Father, that we would specifically be able to see Jesus as our teacher, as our ever-present teacher, as the one who comes alongside to give us truth that will become the foundation upon which we stand. So Jesus, come and teach us today from your truth, from your word, with the help of your Holy Spirit, that we might leave here anchored by you, our teacher. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You've maybe heard it said that Jesus is the greatest teacher to ever live. That would be a hard sell for most people. I think there are probably more articulate communicators that have lived. I think there are probably people in specific fields that teach that field better than Jesus could teach that field. Um, I don't think that is the purpose of the statement. Jesus is the greatest teacher that has ever lived. I think the concept comes from another statement that you've maybe heard before. One good teacher can change the world. I don't know if you buy into that concept either, but, but one good teacher can for sure make an impact on a bunch of students. And those students theoretically could go change the world. So I, I think I buy into that idea that a good teacher doesn't even have to be the greatest teacher, but a good teacher could change the world through their teachings. I want you to take just a moment and not necessarily think of Jesus as a teacher, but walk back through your life and think of the teachers that you've had. The not-so-good ones. The excellent ones. What was the difference? For me, the difference was the ability for that teacher to engage me and it's not that they have to, but they did a good job of doing it, to engage me in the truth that they were trying to teach. If I bought into what they were saying, I seemed to have an easier time mastering the subject. I had an awful geometry teacher. Set in geometry class as a freshman. It was an upper-level class. I was not an upper-level student. And I remember just looking at these concepts, these problems, these questions. I'm supposed to write these theories and these formulas to answer it, and it made no sense to me whatsoever. I remember asking for help. The help didn't make sense. I just remember laboring through that year. Fast forward one year to a beautiful class called trigonometry. What is trigonometry? It's geometry with algebra. If you don't have the geometry and you got the algebra, you're still just up a creek. But in trigonometry... I had a wonderful teacher who was able to come back and teach me the geometry that I didn't have, along with the algebra that I kind of got, and trigonometry was a breeze. I got it. Why? To me, the difference was the teacher. I didn't get any smarter. I just had a good teacher. All of you have had teachers, but let's think of it not in the concept of a small field of mathematics. So I understand what the cosine of an angle is. Big deal. That's really not going to change the world, right? But what if you knew a teacher who had the very words of life? What if you knew and believed that the teacher you were being taught by possessed wisdom and knowledge that was far above and beyond any field of science or mathematics that, it, that that teacher truly possessed within their wisdom Words that could bring eternal life. 
Would you grab onto that teacher? I mean, would you not hold tight to that teacher? That teacher that has those words is Jesus. And in a defining moment in Jesus' life, when thousands of followers of Jesus heard a very hard teaching, a very confusing teaching. It's called the Sermon of the Bread of Life, where Jesus told the thousands following him, if you want to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Thousands of people heard that teaching and went, you're gross, dude. And they bailed. And at the end of that, Jesus looked at the remaining 12 out of the thousands who were there, and he said, are you not going to go also? And here's how Peter responded in John chapter 6, verse 68. Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words that give eternal life. Peter clung to this teacher because he believed that that teacher had words that would bring eternal life. Jesus clarifies chapters later in John chapter 12, verse 49. He says, I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. So every word of truth, every word of life that I have spoken actually comes directly from the Father through me. I am just a mouthpiece of the Father. But what I speak is from Him, and what I speak is truth. If you knew a teacher like that, would you grab hold and never let go, just like Peter did? When the rest of the world was saying, that teaching is bunk, he said, I don't know where else to go, because I believe you've got the words that yield eternal life. Jesus very much is our teacher. We're going to read a passage out of Matthew chapter 7 today. It's concluding the Sermon on the Mount. If you look at the Gospel of Matthew, it tells the story of the life of Jesus. However, it's really constructed around five discourses, five sermons. The first sermon or discourse being the Sermon on the Mount, and the final discourse being the Olivet Discourse or the Sermon on End Times and where Jesus is going to go. Three more in the middle. The whole Gospel of Matthew hinges upon those five teachings not miracles, not, any, not the five teachings walk us through the Gospel of Matthew. At the very end of the first teaching, Jesus has told in great detail what life in the kingdom of God should look like. How one would live as a follower of God. And he concludes this beautiful, life-changing teaching with these words. Matthew 7, verse 24. We'll go through 29. He says, Therefore... I told you all this stuff, and it's good. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Big old storm came. That house remained because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, everyone who hears what I teach and does not put them into practice, doesn't do it, is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. When the same storm comes, the rain comes down, the streams rise, the wind blow, and they beat against the house, it falls with a great crash. That's how he concluded his sermon. 
Everything I just taught you is really important. Why? Because my teachings are foundational truths. They're foundational truths upon which you will build your life. If you listen to what I say, that's not enough. You have to actually do what I say. And if you do what I say, when the storm comes, you will weather the storm because you're built on a firm foundation. If you hear what I say and you don't do anything with it, your house has no foundation. When the storm comes and it's going to come, it's going to get blown away. Now, Jesus had taught his people, his disciples, anyone who was listening, how to live a life for God, how to live a kingdom life. And he'd done so in such a manner, verse 28, that when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings because he had taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law who were the geniuses of their day. Where did Jesus get this authority that wowed his hearers? Was it from his education? No, he had none. Was it from his title? Master, rabbi, teacher, lord. No, he hadn't been given any of those titles yet. He had no position. He was a carpenter's son from a little bitty outpost goat town a hundred miles from Jerusalem. It wasn't from his education. It wasn't from his position or his title. It wasn't because he wrote the best book out and everyone wanted to hear him summarize it. He hadn't written anything to our knowledge. He just said stuff that sounded kind of crazy. But then when people heard what he said that sounded kind of crazy and actually did what he said, they realized something and they saw that he had some authority Because even though what he was saying sounded crazy, when they did it, they realized that they could live a full life for God in a crazy world. And we all live in this crazy world, and sometimes it takes crazy thoughts to counteract a crazy world. And Jesus lays out a bunch of what would seem to be crazy thoughts that if we apply them, it actually allows us to live a full life in a crazy world. He taught things like turn the other cheek when your enemy strikes you. But if applied, there's life to the full there. His authority and his uniqueness were seen in two primary ways. And I'll hit these quickly. The first reason that I think the people there saw great authority in his teachings was because Jesus was completely brilliant. You need to know that. Jesus was completely brilliant and it was innate. It was in the fact that he was both God and man. His brilliance was not taught by anyone. It came directly from the fact that he was God. Look at Colossians 2, verse 3, a very short verse, but it says, In Jesus are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Think of it that way. Think of Jesus as this treasure chest that when unlocked, and there's no lock on this, just when opened, when opened within him, There are all wisdom and all knowledge in one person. He is completely brilliant and it's innate. How do we know this? The first account of Jesus' teaching came in Luke chapter 2. He was 12 years old and he was mesmerizing the smartest men of the day in Jerusalem. He sat amongst the most brilliant rabbis and he befuddled them with his wisdom. His ability not just to answer their questions, but to show mastery of a subject by 
responding to their question with another question. That's how good he was. He was brilliant. It was innate. Now, Jesus says crazy things like forgive someone not just once if they do something wrong, but forgive them 70 times, seven times. He tells his followers, he teaches that lesson on forgiveness. He also teaches a really interesting concept that was not being taught anywhere in the world at this time. Uh, a lot of people said it's not good to commit adultery, but Jesus said, you've heard that, don't commit adultery. Here's what I'm going to say, I don't want you to even look at a woman lustfully. A lot of people felt like that was way too rough, way too harsh. You've got to forgive 70 times, seven times, that's ridiculous. Not only, yes, not commit adultery, we get that, but don't even look at a woman lustfully. They, they had that idea of you can look but don't touch. They had that idea of forgiveness is an okay thing, but if the wrong is good enough, it's fine to seek revenge. That was the idea, that was the concept of the time. Jesus has these really crazy ideas, but here's the deal. When you apply them, you realize that Jesus is not just correct, but that to not follow what he says is dumb. Why? Because if you do not forgive someone, what is the result of your lack of forgiveness? A life filled with bitterness and resentment. It's not a full life. If you choose to look lustfully, men, at a woman, thinking there will be gratification in this moment of lustful desire, how does that end for you most of the time? Alone, filled with shame and guilt. He actually knew what he was talking about. It sounds harsh. It sounds like too much. It sounds like he's just trying to make a splash. But in reality, he's incredibly brilliant. And what he says is true. Not only is he completely brilliant, but it's very important for us to understand this. We will only commit ourselves to Jesus if we believe he knows what he's talking about. Sit in that for a minute. You're not going to be able to go a step further with this concept today unless you can grasp and believe that what Jesus says is truth. If in your heart there's even an inkling of doubt that he yeah, he seems to have most of it figured out, but I don't think in this particular area that's him. It cannot work that way. And it's not because he needs complete puppetry of his people. He just is completely brilliant and he knows what he's talking about. If you harbor the thought that he may be just a little bit wrong, you will never fully trust him. The second thing that makes Jesus' teaching so authoritative is that his teachings are counterintuitive. He's an upside-down teacher. In Luke chapter 15, he tells a parable about God, and he says, here's how God works. He's got a hundred sheep, and he's going to actually leave the 99 that he has behind and go off searching for the one lost sheep. That's counterintuitive. you got 99 more good ones. Don't leave them unattended. Stay right where you're at. But that's not how Jesus taught about God. He's going to go find the one. In the very next parable, he says, here's how God works. When the wayward son who literally shamed the father comes back home, this God is going to throw a party. 
No beatings, no demotions, none of that. There's going to be a celebration. That is counterintuitive, but those are simple ones just talking about theology. What about the way to live? Jesus says the way to get to the top is to be at the bottom. If you want to be first, you need to be last. If you want to have success, the key is service. If you want to get, you need to give. If you want to discover yourself, you've got to lose yourself. If you want to be strong, try being weak. If you want to have freedom, give complete control to God. If you want to get even with your enemies, bless them. If you want to live, you're going to have to die. If you want to get the most out of life, go to where the least of these are. If you want honor, try humbling yourself. Oh. That's some back. I mean, it is it's the de- definitively backwards. But this stuff works. And he's our teacher. He is brilliant and he's backwards, but what he is is truth. In church, we can't just hear it. It's not enough to just believe it. We must do it, apply it, live out the teachings of Jesus. James says it this way in chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and then deceive yourselves like you've got it all figured out. Oh, I've heard it. I've heard it all before, Todd. Well, then you're deceiving yourself. You've got to do what it says. And church, let's be honest. That's why Jesus the teacher is our least favorite Jesus. We love Jesus the Savior. We welcome Jesus the healer. We can't wait for Jesus the friend. Jesus the teacher, we relegate that one to last place. Why? Because Jesus the Savior, it is freely given. Jesus the healer, it is asked for and received. Jesus the friend, that just sounds good. Jesus the teacher, means we actually got to do what he says to do. And I don't know that we really want to do that. Jesus' teachings require us to move, require us to change, to go against the current. But I believe that Jesus, the teacher, is the biggest component of who he is. And and here's, here's my rationale for that. Just follow me. Jesus did ministry on this earth for three years. What did he do most of the time in those three years? He taught. He spent three years teaching and six hours atoning for the sins of the world. There's a discrepancy there. If his atonement is the key, if we're supposed to see Jesus as the Savior and that's the most important one, then he could have wrapped it up in about 12 hours. A good six-hour sermon followed by the cross, he could have been done. But he didn't. He came. He had a lot of living stuff to teach us. Why did he perform miracles? Look, he walked into a town, found a couple sick people, said, get up and walk. Your legs are no longer feeble. 
you, you're, you're, your daughter's dead, now she's alive. He did that immediately upon every town that he entered into. And then what did he do? Walk straight to the synagogue and taught for as long as they'd keep him. He did the miracles to show that he had authority. But the most important thing on each of his legs was to go teach. Jesus the teacher may be the most important thing. Now, please don't hear me say Jesus the Savior. That's, that's impressive. Jesus the healer. We need that. We need them all. But I'm just saying, please stop relegating Jesus the teacher to the back of the line. It, it may need to be at the front of the line. That's all I'm saying because it seems to be the bigger chunk of who he is. Jesus the teacher must be obeyed. Why? Why? Because I'm a legalist. Because, I, because I, I have all these things that I need you to conform your life to because you've got to look like Jesus and we've got to be rigid and we've got to know this and it's just, whoo, is that why? No. No. Why do we need Jesus as the teacher? He told us in Matthew chapter 7. We need Jesus as the teacher because the storms are coming. We need him as the teacher because every one of you is going to get rocked at some point in your life. And the difference between making it through and faltering completely appears to be one thing, your foundation. And your foundation is Jesus, but it's Jesus the teacher. It is his truth that will get you through the storm. It is nearly impossible to lay a foundation in the middle of a storm. So we need Jesus' teachings, his truth, all that he will give us to get through the storms. His teachings will not exempt us from the storm. They will simply give us the foundation necessary to not be wiped out. I sat in a room with men I trust, and I asked them to identify storms that would affect one's life. And we wrote them on the board. We wrote those storms on the board, I think we came up with about 12 of them. These are real things, things you'll face. And I have them here. And I'm going to spend the rest of the time this morning just walking through them one at a time. And I know for a fact that this is going to get real and get personal with a lot of you. But Jesus, the teacher, came to lay a foundation so that we might weather the storm. He gave us all we needed. But it's in his teachings. It's in his truth. And it's not just that we believe what he says. We have to live it out. We have to apply it. We have to own it as our own. And that becomes the foundation that allows us to weather the storms of life. You'll, you'll see them behind me. I strongly recommend that if you identify with one of these storms that you begin to note quickly the truth that will get you through. I've given you the truth. And I, I share this with you not to boast. I put the scriptures below each of these storms. I put them there from memory. I didn't have to Google search promises to get you through depression. I didn't have to do that because I am blessed to say that I went to a Jesus school. That for four years they taught Jesus and his truth. And this is my foundation. 
Does it mean that I'm exempt from depression? No. But I know the truth that will allow me to weather the storm. It's imperative, church, those who call themselves believers, to also know, believe, and live this truth. Because the storms are coming. Storms like poverty and recession. Got any wealthy people in here? Any people that got a lot of coin? A lot of money? Any people who, when they start to hear downward spiral in the economy, they get a little scared? Is there anyone in here right now who has no money? Who you are impoverished? That you have nothing. That storm is a real storm for you. You cannot pay your bills. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 26, all you need to do is look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? We don't have to fear poverty because we have a God who will provide Will he provide mansions and Mercedes? Maybe, maybe, probably not. But he'll feed you and he'll clothe you if you trust him. If you don't build bigger barns and hoard and make it all about you, if you just trust him, that truth will allow you to weather this storm. What about sickness and death? Anyone been waylaid by that storm? Anyone getting pounded by those waves right now? Mark chapter 5 is where I go. You, you find your truth, but Mark chapter 5 is where I go because in Mark chapter 5, Jesus is demonstrating his power. And he does it bookended. He gets, gets ashore, Jairus, this wealthy man, comes up and says, My daughter is sick, she's dying, come quickly on the way. This woman, who had been sick for 12 years, decides that all she needs to do is touch Jesus. And in Mark 5, verse 34, after this sick woman had touched Jesus at the bottom of his cloak, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. I believe that my faith can heal sickness. I know that truth. I've seen it work. You can't take that from me. Jesus taught me that truth. He goes on, he finds the house, he finds the daughter, she's not breathing. Jesus says, it's okay, she's just sleeping. No, she's dead. Verse 41 and 42, he took her by the hand and he said to her, Talithia kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old and they were completely astonished because Jesus had just conquered death. He had just risen this girl from the dead. I know that my God has the power to do that. But wait, people still die. He did not come and raise my mom. He did not come and do that. Wait a minute, people still die. What do we do with that? Well, he defeated death to give us hope. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 14. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. What does that mean? I'm going to see my mama again. 
did that storm of my mom dying wreck me? Yes. I shared far too candidly last week just how much it did. But the only thing I could cling to, the only hope that I had was the truth that those who have gone before us, we will again be reunited with because they're in Christ. Can't take that from me. It's truth. I loved when one of our guys put this one on the board. Anyone facing the storm of a stagnant life? No purpose, no joy, just uh, just waking up every morning to uh. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and give it to the full. Hallelujah, Jesus, that you have come to give us a life that is not stagnant, a life that is not blah, a life that has purpose and meaning and adventure. For those who say the Christian life is boring, I say you're an idiot. Following Christ is the most amazing thing in the world that you can possibly do, but you've got to do it. For those of you who are right now just capsized by stagnation, What am I doing? Believe the truth that He did not put you here to just eke through life. He came to give life and full, abundant life. Depression. Boy, it seems like that's a big one. I don't want to get out of bed. This... Junk is just too much. I'm too sad. It's not going away. John 16, Jesus taught his people. He told them these things so that in him they might have peace. And in this world, you're going to have trouble. There's going to be things that depress you. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Did you hear that? Take heart, those who are depressed, because what is depressing you, Jesus has conquered it. He is stronger than that which oppresses you. Your depression is His opportunity for glory because He brings you peace, and He does so because He has overcome all the things of this world that can depress us. Do you believe that? Oh, I'm sorry. You have to do more than just believe. You got to live it. You got to step in it. You got to walk in it. You got to get out of bed and believe and know and trust and walk. Anyone anxiety ridden? Got any worriers? Has that been a constant storm in your life? My favorite, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Truth, 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 truth. Cast them. Do not carry them. Cast them. Get them away. They're gone. Why? Because he cares and he knows you can't carry them. That anxiety will kill you. You take it and you throw it and he carries it because whoever carries the burden to the end gets the glory. Stop stealing his glory and start casting them on him. You don't need to carry those anymore. How do I do that? 
Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation. If this is you, circle that, write it down, go memorize it, tattoo it on your forehead. I don't know what you need to do, but in every situation, in everything, cast your anxieties upon Him. If you're anxious about anything, by prayer and petition, with a thankful heart, boy, that would change your disposition right there, present your request to God. And then, do you see that? Not first, but and then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Does anyone's heart and mind need to be guarded from anxiety and worry? Jesus does that. Jesus promises that. Anyone lonely? Is there anyone lonely in here? Hebrews 13.5, quoting Deuteronomy. Jesus says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. You're never alone. No matter who in here feels such, you are not alone. Anyone crippled with fear? You're just afraid? You don't know why? Romans 8, 15. The spirit that you received when you knew Christ Jesus does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption as sonships. And by him we cry, Daddy, Father, The spirit you received casts out love. Why? Because perfect love casts out fear. Anyone insecure? Don't like the way you look? Struggling with image? Struggling with, are you good enough? Do you not remember that you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared beforehand? so that we should walk in them. You are God's workmanship just the way you are. Hear that. Who needs needs that this morning? Who needs to hear that? That you are God's workmanship. You are his poem. You are his perfect creation. Who needs to know that? Anyone struggling with temptation? The storm of temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13. I remember memorizing this in college, struggling with all kinds of temptation. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Boy, it doesn't feel like that all the time, does it? But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. Thank you, Jesus, so that you can endure that temptation. There's always a way out because he promises there will be. Is anyone weary, tired? I, I, love, I love Matthew eleven twenty eight. Even though it's probably a little out of context, the truth still remains. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. True peace, true rest from Jesus if you come to him. And finally, is anyone riddled with guilt and shame? Is that the storm? You don't feel worthy of God? You don't feel that you can approach him because of the guilt and the shame that you have because of your sins, because of your former way of life, because of who you, whatever it is, someone told you you weren't worthy. I, I don't know. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to one another, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That word purify means completely cleanse from the guilt and the shame. I know this truth. I've seen it work in my life. I know all of these. And today as we respond 
I, I want you to walk back through these because I know that there's some of you who are dealing with these exact storms in your life. You're being crushed by them, and this truth is the only foundation that will allow you to weather that storm. So as the band comes back up here, I, I, need, you, I need you as a church to just, to just sit in your own <laughs> almost misery for a minute and see are there storms that you are currently enduring that are beating you to death and, and the reason that you cannot weather them is because you do not know the truth and maybe you know the truth but you're not applying it, you're not doing it and I hope you see that that is the key right there. Church, a lot of you probably believe what I just said but you're not doing it so you're deceiving yourselves according to James you believe that Jesus can do these things but you're not actually yourself living into that truth you're not just owning the fact that you're God's workmanship his poem you're not just owning the fact that you can take every anxiety and worry and you can present it to him with a thankful heart and he will give you the peace that transcends all understanding you're not actually praying you're not actually giving you believe that he maybe could but you're not willing to release it those of you who are depressed it's the same thing those those of you who just are hurting because of sickness because of death you, you haven't seen that he overcomes that that he is your healer there's so much truth in Jesus and when we apply that truth, you will have a foundation that will allow you to weather any storm. Any storm. I know that today has rocked some people. And that's good. Our prayer team is going to be up front, and I fully expect there to be lines of people today who are trying to weather storms. And do you want to know what our prayer team is going to do? We're just going to pray this truth over you. We're just going to pray this truth over you. And, and some of you need to understand that, that the foundation is not there and this storm will kill you. And, and you need to come get help from Jesus, not from our prayer team. You need to come get help from Jesus. So when, when we stand and when we start responding, you're going to need to come. You're going to need to respond. Did you hear my heart? These are the truths that have been laid for me. But it did not exempt me from storms. And some of the storms that I've walked through are brutal, but they're nothing compared to what some of you have walked through and are walking through. But the foundation is good. The foundation will stand. Because Jesus, my teacher, he told me it would. And I believe him. And I trust him. And I'll take it to the final step. Through the Holy Spirit, I will do everything that I can to live according to his word. And then when the rains come and the winds blow and this body gets tattered by the storms of this world, I'll know that I'm on a firm foundation. And that's available for all of you. And you need it, right? Don't you need it? Can, can you admit that at least you need that? Walking through this world without it is just dangerous. So it's available in Christ. You may need to come. You may need to pray. You may need to sit. You may need to stand. You may need to take communion. I don't know what you need to do, but this is your time to respond. So, Father, I just pray that your spirit would move and that your truth would be evident and that the foundations that we need would be laid. And, Father, that your, uh, your ministry 
of prayer from the front, that there would be people that just come because they're, they're hurting. The, the storm is too great, and they just they need you, Jesus. I just pray that there would be healing and restoration and truth that just exudes from, from the front here and, and all over this room. And God, that that happens because of you, and it happens for you, and that, that no one would leave here uh, unchanged because your truth is perfect. Your ways are good. They're unsearchable to us. But we know, God, that in you we have hope and we have a firm foundation. So thank you for Jesus. Allow us to respond to him right now in your name. It's your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand. And if you need prayer, it's, it's time to come.